This morning's reading comes from Acts chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 21 and verse 37 to 39. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Thanks be to God. Good morning, and welcome to my sofa. My name is Steve Conacher, and I'm the youth pastor of HT. And I would like to invite you to imagine, or maybe to remember, your first ever day at school. Imagine you're four years old. Your uniform is a few sizes too big, so your hands kind of shrink inside your sleeves and you feel small. And you look at whoever dropped you off with a face that says something like, are you really going to leave me here with these people? And you look around and you're not really sure what you're supposed to do or where you're supposed to go. And maybe you're a bit excited because people have said, hey, school is fun. 
but ultimately you sit on your plastic chair and you wait for this new stage of life to start. You sit and you wait patiently for this new reality to begin. I wonder if Jesus's first followers in this chapter of Acts felt similarly. I wonder if we join them at a similar point in their lives. I mean, imagine being one of them. It's the day of Pentecost. So it's 50 days since the Passover, which means it's seven weeks since that whole episode of Jesus being dead and alive again. And all of the emotional roller coaster that came with that. Jesus stuck around for 40 days afterwards and then he left. He, he went up to heaven and he dropped them off at Jerusalem to wait. And you wonder what they were what was going through their minds in those moments? Maybe some of them were thinking, did any of it really happen? I mean, the, the last two months of our lives have been so crazy. Was it real or was it a dream? Maybe some were just itching to get going. Guys, we, we should just go already. We know everything we need to know. We've already heard everything Jesus is going to tell us. We've done stuff with him. Why can't we just go now? Or maybe others of them while they were praying and waiting, remembered what Jesus had said. They remembered that there was a promise, that if they waited, the Holy Spirit would be given to them. So they sat and they waited for this new reality to begin. Well, today is a day of Pentecost. It's the anniversary of this first time that the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples. And we know now a lot more about what this new reality in their lives looks like, what this gift of the Holy Spirit meant. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this new reality through the eyes and the ears and the stories of these first Christians. We're going to ask, what did the Holy Spirit, what did this gift mean to them? And we're also going to ask, and what does it mean for our lives today? This morning, I'm going to explore this passage from Acts chapter 2 to ask what we can learn about the gift of the Holy Spirit the first time it was given to these disciples. So let me pray for us before we go any further. Father God, I thank you for this day of Pentecost. Thank you so much for this new reality of the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you'd help us to understand and that you would fill us as well with this Holy Spirit, that we might live in this new reality. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is the gift of this Holy Spirit and what does it mean? You might like to have this uh, passage from Acts chapter 2 open in front of you. And let's just acknowledge, this is a bonkers story. I mean, imagine Luke who wrote this. You know, this is part two of Luke's gospel. It's the sequel, the disciples strike back or whatever. And you imagine Luke gathering this story from one of the disciples. He says, okay, so, so tell me what happened. And they say, well, there was this crazy, rushing, big, loud wind noise that filled the house. Okay, right, and um, anything else happened? Yeah, yeah, and then there was this fire that like came down and separated and was over our heads. Right, uh, what, what did the fire look like? Well, you know, it was, it was like in this shape over, it was like, um, it looked a bit like um, a, a tongue. What is going on here? What is this story? 
Many of us, I suspect, will have an experience of a new person moving into our house or ourselves of moving in somewhere new. In Cambridge, this is quite common. I've actually had 10 different housemates in the last five years. And I can say from experience that when someone new moves in, there are signs that they have moved in. So, um, you know, maybe some new items appear in various places around the house. Maybe there's a new smell, you know, of someone's detergent or their cologne or their BO. Um, if you moved in with me, you would experience a sudden appearance of much coffee paraphernalia. This would appear all over your house. And if you're a coffee fan, you'd be very happy. If not, we might have arguments. Uh, if you moved in with my wife, Liv, um, you would experience the sudden appearance of much greenery all around the house on practically every surface you would think possible to contain a potted plant. Uh, and not only that, you would also experience the joy of having interesting, aesthetically pleasing cushions on your sofa. Oh yes. I hope you get the point. When someone new moves in, there are signs of their presence. And that's what's going on here in Acts 2. Wind and fire, these are signs of God's presence. These are signs that God is moving in. This new reality of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that God is moving in to the lives of these first Christians. And they might not have understood this right at the moment because this seems like quite an intense experience for them. But I wonder if they reflected back and they thought, hmm, wind and fire. Like when God was with Israel, God's people in the desert, and he was there with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Like when God appeared to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai and gave Moses the law, and there was a great storm, lots of wind, and there was fire. Like when God came and filled the temple and there was a great cloud and fire came from heaven. Like how the word spirit in Hebrew means breath or wind. Wind and fire, these are signs of God's presence. They're signs that God has moved in. And to a bunch of Jewish people, this would have been absolute madness. Because the Jewish way of worshipping was to keep at a reverent distance from God. It was social distanced worship. Because God is pure perfection, pure awesomeness, pure justice, pure goodness. And you can't get too close. Like you can't get too close to a bonfire because it's dangerous. And so the Jews, they worshipped God at a reverent distance. But here in this gift of the Holy Spirit, God comes close. God moves in, not just to a new location, not just to the houses of these first Christians. He moves in to their bodies. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's presence in the bodies of the first followers of Jesus and of every follower of Jesus since then. God has moved in. Think of the closeness of that, the intimacy. It's almost an outrageous way to describe it, but that's what it is. God has moved in to the bodies of these first Christians. And if you're a Christian, God has moved in to your body too. And if you're not, then this is an invitation. God wants to move into your life. He wants to move into your body. And all you need do, as Peter tells the crowd at the end of this chapter, is turn around and trust in Jesus. Because the ancient promise that Peter unpacks for the people is, God has promised this from long ago. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on anyone who would trust him. 
It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, it doesn't matter about gender or background or anything. All that matters is whether you'll trust Jesus. The new reality of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that God is moving in. But there's something else going on in this story, isn't there? We've got wind and fire, but also the disciples start doing strange things. They start speaking in other languages, ones they haven't learned, ones they didn't do a GCSE in at school. And all these people have gathered for the festival of Pentecost. They hear the disciples speaking in their own languages. And then Peter stands up to speak and instead of everyone going, who's that weirdo? 3,000 of them become Christians. What is going on here? It's really interesting in this story from Acts 2 that people think the disciples are drunk. They see this group of people and they think, well, they're quite unselfconscious and slightly weird. They must be drunk. They must be under the influence. But I wonder if that's actually quite a helpful comparison. Because these disciples, they are under the influence. Not of alcohol, which maybe frees them up because it makes them less aware, slows down their response to reality. They're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who frees them up because they become more aware of reality, of the reality of God in them, of the reality of his love and his power. They are, we might say, under a new influence. The new reality of the gift of God's Spirit is God's presence and God's influence. God is moving in, and you could say God is taking the wheel of their lives. How does this work? Well, we can think about it like this. Over the last couple of months, some of us have become aware of a wonderful thing called PE with Joe Wicks. If you haven't seen this, it's on YouTube. There's this guy, Joe Wicks. He's a British personal trainer guy and he does these PE lessons for kids and let's face it adults on YouTube and he does some simple exercises and you join in at home and it's really fun and he's wearing silly costumes and frankly it's quite easy because when Joe Wick says right give me 10 star jumps and you do five you think well you know to the nearest 10 right and uh, so that's fine and there's no one there to tell you otherwise but imagine if Joe Wicks moved in to your house and you had his encouragement and his voice constantly in your ear so that when you only did five you heard all right come on give me five more you can do it come on you can do five more yeah well done lots of love great work and imagine if more than that more than just joe wicks's constant encouragement you also had joe wicks's fitness i realize this illustration is getting a bit bonkers but imagine if you also had his fitness then you would have his encouragement and you'd also have the power to do it That is how God's influence seems to be working in the lives of these disciples. It's like God says, open your mouth and I will fill it with languages to speak to these people about me. It's like God's influence on Peter is get up in front of this crowd and start preaching and I will be the one who gets to their hearts so that thousands of them decide to trust in me. God takes the wheel, but he also provides the power to do it. It's God's influence and it's the power to make it work. This seems to be the new reality that the disciples experience. God is moving in and God is taking the wheel. God's presence and God's influence, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does this mean in our lives today? 
How can we engage with this new reality of God's presence and God's influence? Well, firstly, I think it's just like with a real housemate. You can live with someone, and I've been in these situations, you can live with someone for a year and you can just pass in the kitchen, pass in the hallway, and the opportunities for spending time together get drowned out by the busyness of life and by the to-do list and by my personal problem, digital noise, you know, phone and TV and laptop and everything else. And you don't just make time to be together. And it's such a simple thing. But if we want to live in this new reality of God's presence, if we want to acknowledge and live in light of the fact that God has moved in, then we've got to spend time with him. We've got to make space to spend time with him. But ultimately, the goal is to let God move into all of our life, not just like the religious moments, not just once a week on a Sunday or once a day or whatever. Ultimately, we want God to move into all of it. But for me, the only way I've found I'm able to do that is by making specific time every day, by putting away my phone, because it's such a distraction, by making space as much as I can, sometimes even by setting a timer for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever, or by going for a walk, and by spending time making space to be aware that God is with me, to know that God has moved in. And that will look different for all of us. I can't tell you how to do that. I know for some of us in these days of social distancing, this might be particularly hard. But it's about making space however we can to be with God, to live in this reality that God has come close to us. And the second thing is God, God's influence. And this is harder because it does mean, for me, it means giving up control. You know, this idea of God taking the wheel of my life, it doesn't sound like the most attractive thing in the world the first time I think of it. It sounds a bit intimidating. I kind of like being in control. I don't really want to let God take the wheel. But I found it really helpful to look through the New Testament and to actually look at how the Holy Spirit influences people's lives. Here are a few ways. Being reminded of the words of Jesus. Being filled with God's love. Overflowing with hope having courage, being strengthened, knowing in your heart that you belong to God, being convicted to change, having guidance in decision-making, having wisdom, having power and love and self-discipline and the spiritual gifts of healing, of miracles, of interpreting God's, what God's saying to people. And actually, when I stop to think about it, these are things that I want in my life. Love and wisdom to know what to do and the ability to go and do it and the strength and the courage. I want that. And that's what the Holy Spirit's influence looks like. And it does involve giving up control and that is hard, but his influence is to lead us out to live the life we were supposed to live. And looking at those passages, those verses from the New Testament, it also helps me with one of my other big problems, which I call the recipe book problem. You know, when you look at a recipe and you have this incredible picture of what it looks like and it's green and lush and amazing, and then you make it and it's brown sludge. And it tastes right, but it ultimately it's brown sludge. And you know, you're like, how does that look so good there and so rubbish when I do it? And sometimes we can feel like that about the Holy Spirit. Why does it look so amazing in the book of Acts, this gift of the Spirit? But in my life, it feels difficult. I don't always feel close to God. I don't always know what I'm supposed to do. And when I do do it, it doesn't always work out very well. But I find it really helpful to remember two things. 
One is that Acts is the story, not of an individual, but of a community. It's a community of people together. It's in their lives together that we see these things happening. Over decades, over 30, 40, 50 years. And so the second thing is lots of the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily in the big dramatic ways, although that happens and is amazing. But it's in the everyday, day-to-day, simple life ways. It's those moments when we make some space to be with God and he just nudges us. Why don't you give to this person or to this cause? Or it just nudges us, hey, why don't you just be open to share my love with someone today? Why don't you make a bit of extra time to be with me? Look at that person over there. Why don't you go talk to them? It's those little everyday ways that God's spirit would influence us. So that if we are willing, uh, we as a community over years could have a book written about us not entirely dissimilar to the book of Acts, because we see the Holy Spirit at work among us. And I end with this. I was walking on a Sunday morning, trying to do this a few weeks ago. And I was kind of railing at God, being like, I'm so annoyed. I kind of hate Zoom and online church and all of it. And I don't want to do it anymore, God. What's going on? And the kind of thought that popped into my head, which I think might have been God's influence, God speaking to me was, Steve, what are you actually expecting? And as I thought about that, I thought, well, to be honest, I'm probably not expecting very much. Probably expecting, you know, maybe church would be nice. Maybe it'd be nice to see some people, but that's about it. And the next thought that came into my head was, Steve, you have no idea how I'm going to use this. You have no idea what I'm going to do in this time. And I think God says that to us. This time in our lives for some of us is incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging. And I don't want to make light of that at all. But we have no idea what God is going to do in this time. Paul describes him as a God who can do unimaginably more than we could ask or imagine. We have no idea what he's going to do. And all we can do is show up, make space to him, invite his influence in our lives and see what he does. So in a moment, Stuart is going to lead us in some space to actually do that. But first, let me pray as I close. Father, we thank you again for this gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you want to be with us. Thank you that you want to lead us and influence us to be the people we're most supposed to be. God, sorry when we haven't expected much of you. Sorry when we've avoided your influence because we're afraid. Sorry when we've drowned out your presence with noise. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Please would you come and fill every single one of us today. That we might know that you're with us, that you've moved in. And that you might take the wheel and influence us. For your glory and that your kingdom will come in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.